My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. So we're in Mark chapter 14 today, and um, I mentioned last week that I was really excited about last week's text because we kind of got to this Christological apex at Mark where Jesus reveals to the religious leaders who he is, and, uh, and today was unexpected for me. Uh, what we're going to talk about today. I did not see this coming. Uh, you guys know that I've been studying Mark for probably six months before we began the series. I look at these texts weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, do a lot of research, dig into the language, uh, and it was literally just this week where I saw what we're actually going to land on today. So I'm kind of pumped about that. Um, so we're going to read a lot of scripture today, read half of a chapter in Mark 14, probably read an entire chapter in Exodus as well, uh, because there's some stuff going on over there that's really helpful to understand what is and is not going on uh, in Mark chapter 14. So we'll start with reading Mark chapter 14. We'll start with verse 32. I'll read all the way down to verse 72, and then we'll pick up and I'll ask the question that we ask each week. So Mark 14. <clears throat> and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. 
Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know of this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Mark 14. So let's ask our question that we ask each week. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So again, welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to those of you online. Uh, nice online compliment this morning. Hello, everybody. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So we're 147 and a half weeks in. You can't see my face, but I'm chuckling. <laughs> what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So we started this particular text on uh, December 19th, so our last Sunday in Sunday School of 2021. We took two weeks off, came back last week. We looked at some more of this particular passage, Jesus before the council, and today, Lord willing, we'll finish up verses 63, 64, and 65. Uh, and I never knew there was this much about clothing going on in the Bible, but there is a lot. So let's take a look. So make sure we, we know where we are. So Judas has come. They have, they have gotten Jesus. The disciples have fled. Peter's followed at a distance. We've seen this uh, sandwiching that Mark is known for in his gospel of something Jesus is doing, something the opposite, something Jesus is doing, something the opposite, something Jesus is doing, and the, just the structure of the text itself. So Peter is kind of the, the inserted as the opposite of the faithfulness of Jesus as we see, and we're going to see this with Caiaphas as well here in just a minute. 
So they're in the courtyard of the high priest. Peter's sitting with the guards. He's warming himself. We get to verse um, uh, 55. Chief priests and the scribes and the whole council. So this is the Sanhedrin. So this is a large group of people. This is uh, 70 leaders of Jerusalem, of Israel, uh, rather. And uh, along with some others that are there, this is a really crowded place. They're hearing testimony against Jesus. We've talked about how this was, uh, at best, a mock trial. Uh, at worst, just an informal decision to go get permission from Rome to kill this man. They couldn't find any good testimony against Jesus, verse 56. Uh, many repeatedly, this is an imperfect tense, bore false witness against Jesus because their testimony didn't agree. Again, the ironic thing here is that the only thing that they agreed about was that they couldn't agree. It's, it's very odd. Um, verse 57, some stood up, bore false witness against him, saying, again, this is a present act of participle. This is over and over and over and over again. We heard him say repeatedly, destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I will build up another not made with hands. We recognize that this is a reference to the church. This is us he's talking about. The church began uh, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 59, where we started last week. Even about this, their testimony didn't agree. And the high priest, so this is the singular. There's only one of these guys. This is Caiaphas. We know this from other Gospels. The high priest stood up in the midst of the Sanhedrin here and asked Jesus repeatedly, have you no answer to make? No answer? None? No answer? None? No answer? None? And Jesus was quiet. Verse 61, he remained quiet. He remained silent. This is an imperfect again, repeatedly. This took some time. This, this didn't take as long as it takes to read in Mark's gospel. Right? And this is almost universally true about every Bible story, every Bible setting, every Bible scene, is that they were pretty much longer than it takes to read in the actual text. So we always want to give ourselves time to walk through and think about how these actually these events occurred. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? So he has put it to a point. He has put a very crystal clear yes or no question in front of Jesus. And as we know from uh, earlier in Mark's gospel, what does Jesus do with yes or no questions? He answers them with a question, <laughs> right? So this is what uh, this is what rabbis were trained to do. This is what uh, the disciples were actually supposed to be trained to do. And I am so grateful that Jesus broke that mold with his disciples. Because how frustrating would it be to ask a teacher or a pastor, I have this, like, I, need, I, I would really love to know this thing about God. Tell me more about Jesus. And a question comes back at you. Well, there, there are times to do that, to get learners engaged with the text, but Jesus breaks this mold right here as he had done uh, often before. And he says, I am. This is ego I may. Um, if you've ever heard, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard somebody preach a sermon or a series on the seven I am's of Jesus in the Gospel of John. This is the Greek phrase they look for. I'm at the bottom of page 500 here. Um, this is the ego I may. This is the Greek phrase they look for. To like These are the seven I am's. When uh, Moses asks Yahweh in the Old Testament, who shall I say has sent me? Um, I am that I am. The eternal, ever-existing one, 
which is fundamentally what makes our God different than all other beings in the universe, is that God has always existed through eternity past. But Jesus doesn't just answer his question. He gives him way more. Because remember, Jesus is in charge of the narrative. Jesus is in charge of the timeline. Jesus is in charge of the speed with which the religious elite gets spun up. He's managing all of this flawlessly. So he says, you will see the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite phrase for himself in the Gospel of Mark, seated at the right hand of power. We talked about last week how this was the authoritative space. This is where the most important person would sit, would be at the right hand. And coming with the clouds of heaven. This is a reference to the second coming that's going to occur. So these are things that Caiaphas is going to see. And Caiaphas, as we have alluded to quite often, loses his ever-loving mind. And in verse 63, he does something that is diametrically opposed to what he has been trained to do. And I mentioned it last week. And some of you just about had an exorcism moment where your head wrapped around its axle and went like, what in the world is going on here? Yes, Caiaphas sins right here. So this is what he does. And the high priest tore his garments. So if I just told you that Caiaphas sinned, and I just read he tore his garments, what is Caiaphas not supposed to do? Tear his garments. Right, so let's pause on Mark. We're going to flip over to Exodus chapter 28. Now, I believe there are about, uh, I think there's 1,169 chapters in the Bible. And in Exodus 28, and I'm going to read all of Exodus 28. Exodus 28 is fundamentally about one thing. What the priests wear. And you might think, boy, Jim... That sounds like riveting stuff. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep Jesus, his ministry, his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection in the back of your mind. And I want you to keep what Caiaphas does with his clothes in the front of your mind as we read through Exodus 28. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother. So who, who are we talking to at this point if Aaron's his brother? Moses, talking to Moses. There we go. And his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Now those of you who know anything about the Old Testament, are Nadab and Abihu, do they turn out to be good guys? No. Like really spectacularly bad things happen to them. Okay? Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. And this is one of the things I love about the Old Testament. Because we, we see in the New Testament somebody who is filled with the spirit and they preach a great sermon. They do a great miracle. They act some righteous deed. And the first references to being filled with God's spirit in the Old Testament refer to craftsmen who could construct things of high quality. Like the very first one uh, is, oh my gosh, I've forgotten his name. Say it louder. Yes. 
<laughs> Not that arc. <laughs> um, shockingly good odds of an answer, though, but not that arc. <laughs> oh. My spirit shall come upon him, and he shall craft fine works. And wow, there's a there's a design institute in Israel right now named after this guy. Like his name is a legend in Israel. Okay, we're gonna keep going. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, and they shall make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. So who owns the priesthood? God owns the priesthood. These are the garments they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, and a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple yarn, and scarlet yarns, and fine-twined linen. I don't know exactly what fine twined linen is, but it sounds really fancy, okay? For they shall make the ephod of gold, of purple, of blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and on the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. You shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. So what's the first piece that's described? Sorry. The ephod. The, the inner garment, right? This is the, the inside stuff. Okay, so now we come to the breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it so it matches, it goes, right? This is not some clashy kind of thing that doesn't fit. No, 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 no. God sets the standard for style here. I think it's fantastic. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twist twined linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span in its length and a span in its breadth. You shall set it in four rows of stones a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with the names, according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in the front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and attach them to the front and lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod. 
at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod. Do you see how much care is given to describe the skillfulness with which this thing is made? This is not some haphazard, oh, we found a discount something at Walmart. It'll do. No, God. You bring the best craftsmen who are filled with my spirit, and you have them do their best work they will ever do in their entire lives. This work will be described for thousands of years. So that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. This would be bad if the priest's clothes started to fall off. Right? Everybody with me? So Aaron shall bear the names of some of, of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. What are we pointing to here? Who bears the judgment for the people of Israel? It ain't Noah. It's Jesus. This is all pointing toward the work of Christ to come. Christ, who bears in his body the names of those he represents. It's crazy. Verse 31, you shall make the robe of ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. Verse 31, on its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, so that he does not die. These are those bells that Gary talks about periodically when the high priest goes in and offers atonement for the people for once a year. That if the bells stop jangling, the high priest is dead and they tie a rope around his leg so they drag his dead body out and the next guy up goes in. How would you like to be the backup guy in that situation, right? No yeah, no kidding, right? You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the, thing, from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they might be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen. And you shall make a turban of fine linen. You shall make a sash embroidered with the needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting 
or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute for him and his offspring forever after him. Yes, sir. Uh, so he would have been wearing these anytime he was in public. Okay. Uh, this was the tradition of the day. Um, but there are other passages in Leviticus 10 and Leviticus 26 that talk about priests in general are not allowed to mourn as others mourn and putting ashes on their body and or tearing any of their garments is also included. Um, but this was a formal meeting of the Sanhedrin. He'd have been gussied up. Yep. So we're not done with this because we've just started. Here's the worst pun of the whole series, pulling this thread. I want you to go to John chapter 19. Because we're going to do a little comparing and contrasting. John chapter 19. Now, we know from studying Mark's gospel up to this point that Mark is light on details in the vast majority of spots in his gospel. Mark is about get the message out, get to the point, prove Jesus is the Messiah, we're good to go. But at the foot of the cross, where our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, is wearing our judgment from the Father in his uncovered state before the world, something is happening at the foot of the cross. John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. The word for tunic here is the Greek word chitan. Now I need a new mask. Um, <laughs> I knew I should have practiced that. It is... The exact same word that is used to describe the garment that the high priest tore. So don't miss the fact that Caiaphas was unfaithful to his commitment that he had made as a priest. And our Jesus, even when uncovered and naked on the cross, fulfilled the function and form of the high priestly role. His garments were not torn. And you might be thinking, well, that's neat, Jim. Okay. But wait, Sean, there's more. Because the root word for this Greek word that sounds really, really like Hebrew. Like you, you heard that guttural that I was going for there, right? It actually shows up for the very first time in Genesis chapter 3. 
And there's some neat stuff that happens in Genesis chapter 3 that literally influences the rest of the whole book. Because the first couple of chapters are great, and the last chapter is great, but everything in between is radically broken. And in Genesis 3, verse 21, is the first time this word shows up in the Bible. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That's the first chitan in the Bible. So what's happening with the language is that when we sin, we need a covering. God provides the covering. And Jesus stands in front of someone who is not faithful to the commitment he made about his physical covering. And then a couple of days later, Jesus is nailed to a cross where he is uncovered. But at the same time, his body is providing a covering for us, for our sin. Please, I hope your head explodes. Because the beauty that God is describing literally from the garden to the cross is a connected woven one piece proclaiming the glory and clarity that Jesus Christ our Lord is the Messiah. He is the true and faithful high priest that Caiaphas could only dream to be. And when he went to offer once for all of us and everyone else, he was successful and faithful and needed no bells to prove that he was successful. It's unbelievable. And that's what I got from, and the high priest tore his garments. Don't come at me and say Bible study is simple. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But he did say something after that. So let's talk about that for just a second. So Caiaphas tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? Now, the legal answer to Caiaphas's question is, yes, we need many more witnesses. You actually needed more witnesses than just the testimony of the offender. Because in the mouth of two witnesses, something had to be established, not one. So Caiaphas actually violates explicitly Old Testament law here, which is far more than what the Mishnah described how a Jewish court should be constructed. So he continues in verse 64, you have heard this blasphemy. So there's the charge. So you ever want to know what charge put Jesus on the cross? Blasphemy. This is it. When he said, Ego I may, that flipped the switch. That flipped the switch. What is your decision? So, so Caiaphas asked this question to the Sanhedrin. So what, like, how are you going to decide? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now, this word condemned shows up earlier in Mark's gospel in Mark 10.33. We're going to look at this verse real quick. Because Jesus wasn't just the great high priest. Mark 10.32, and they were on the road, this is Jesus and his disciples, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. 
And they were amazed. Those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was about to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Did they go up to Jerusalem? Did they go up to Jerusalem after this? Yes. Good. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. Did that happen? Was he delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes? Yes. And they will condemn him to death. Did that happen? Did they condemn him to death? Yes. It's almost like he knew what was going to happen. Because not only is he the great high priest, he is the great prophet as well. There's no prophet that ever was like Jesus before. Because he didn't just know the future, he'd already been there. Right? I show this picture sometimes in our class of these mountains that get fuzzier and fuzzier in the distance. That's not how God sees the future or the past. It's perfect clarity at all times. From every perspective. My head hurts just trying to describe it, guys. So back in Mark 14, 64, and they all condemned him as deserving to death. So fulfilled prophecy again. Verse 65, and some began to spit on him. You ever been spit on? You have? By an adult? Oh, I'm sorry. That's awful. This wasn't the last time Jesus got spit on. Because in Mark 15, 19, they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. They spit on him. They covered his face. And, and this is not a, like they were trying to protect him. This was like they were shaming him. And to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And this is an imperative they were giving to the Son of God, which is dangerous in general, but the, the madly ironic thing is that not 60 seconds earlier, his prophecy had come true. They were the evidence of his prophetic accuracy. And they're asking for more. There's this scene in the Matrix where Morpheus and Neo are fighting and Morpheus does this. And that in my mind is what these guys are doing to Jesus right now. And there's people you do that to and there's people you don't do that to. And doing that to God I just don't think is wise. And I think they would agree at this point too. They said, they said to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So this is where things begin to get physically difficult. Well, they continue to be physically difficult. The garden he had already, in Gethsemane, he had already had the hematidrosis and his capillaries had burst and he had sweat blood. So we're going to do our application and personalization. But before we get there, next week, Lord willing, we begin to finish out the sandwich with Peter's story and how he denies Christ next week and probably the following week as well. So a couple of applications and personalizations here. Application number one, uh, Jesus is faithful. Oh my goodness. 
At any point, he could have pulled the emergency angel ripcord and called down as many as he wanted to resolve any issue in front of him, and he did not. He is faithful to his Father and to Scripture. So what do we do with that? I would say repent of our unfaithfulness, because as I look in the mirror, I look way more like Simon Peter and his denial, and I look way more like Caiaphas having a public fit for a show than I do keeping my mouth shut and being faithful or being clear about who Jesus is and why he came. So application number one, Jesus is faithful. Personalization number one, repent of our unfaithfulness. Application number two, Jesus is the Messiah. Like, don't miss that. He, he, is, he is pounding this home over and over and over again, and so is Mark and so are Peter in this story. So what do we do with that? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Nobody else, nobody else is up to this task. Application number three, Jesus is God. When he said, ego I may, I've got to agree with Gary on this, that if you, don't, if you read the Bible and you don't see where Jesus is claiming to be God, like there are parts we may need to go back and cover again because you, you might move too quickly through some parts. So Jesus is God. What do we do with that? Number three, believe that Jesus is God. In application number four, the, the part I think Jesus probably gets the least amount of credit for, we, we, get, we hear him talked about and sing songs to him about King Jesus. We, uh, we see and hear him talked about as the priest who offers the sacrifice of himself on behalf of the world. We don't hear as much about Jesus' accuracy, number four, as is Jesus is a prophet. Like he is a flawless prophet. And remember the, the Old Testament standard. The Old Testament standard was 100% accuracy 100% of the time. Otherwise, death. Which, I don't know what you do for a living. I don't want that to be my threshold for success. Like, if you ever mess up, you die. Like, well, but it was a... Nope, nope, death. I... Can I get a new job? You know, it, it, this, this I think is one of the reasons why I think some of the prophets were such, uh, they were so heavy. They were so, I mean, you read some of the prophets, you're like, this person is clinically depressed. I mean, this is just, this is what's happening here. This is, this is, you pull out the DSM-5, these are the things that are happening. This is it. You have depression. It was such a high standard, right? Well, some of the prophecies about Jesus himself, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He understood the sin and the weight of the world and what was on him. So what do we do with the fact that Jesus is a prophet? Believe. Because if I can believe, I can read through the Gospels and see where Jesus accurately foretold the future, then the stuff that he foretold that hasn't happened yet, I can have the same degree of confidence in. And that is worth worshiping. That is worth getting excited about. That is good news. That is worth sharing. And that is the lesson for today. And I am now exhausted and need a nap. So uh, our schedule next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark 1466. There's your one blank on your handout. Uh, and we'll go until we're finished. So you should have at your table, and you guys don't online, but feel free to do so in the comments. Uh, a weekly update. Uh, so if you would take a section, pray over a section of prayer requests. If you've got any new prayer requests, you want to make any updates, please do so there. Uh, we have several folks in our class that are down with COVID right now, so please be in prayer. Uh, please be careful.
and uh, feel free when we finish here to go and to worship this one who is faithful, the Messiah, God, and the prophet. And like no other, you will not find anybody else in the history of the universe, past, present, future, that is like our Jesus. He is worthy of worship. So thanks for coming today, guys. And uh, after you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed. Thanks. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.